Do you ever see those clickbait lists online? They're usually titled 101 films you have to see before you die. They pop up every once in a while, but tell the truth. How many have you actually seen? These are movies so ingrained in the fabric of modern pop culture, you would be forgiven for thinking you had actually seen them. So join me, Sam Wraith. And me, Joel Green. As each week, we break down and review a different film from zany cult classics to what many describe as cinematic masterpieces. This is 1001 Movies We Have Not Seen. Hello and welcome to the 1001 Movies We Have Not Seen podcast. My name is Sam, a self-confessed cinephile who currently works in the film and television industry. I even went to university to study film and TV. The only issue is, I've not seen many films. My name's Joel and I enjoy lots of movies, uh, but I tend to get criticised for being really picky about them. So Sam thought it a good idea to get me involved with the podcast as well, just so I can share my controversial opinions that most of my friend group disagree with. Each week, myself and Joel will discuss a film that is described by many as one of the best films ever made. Do these films deserve the legacy they've been given, or are they just overrated and bloated rubbish? Let's find out as we discuss Reservoir Dogs. So just before we get into that, have you seen that Avatar, The Way of the Water, has has, uh, grossed $1.89 at the worldwide box office? Who is watching that film? I don't know. Have you? No one I know. Uh, okay, here's... Uh, I mean, usually a good gauge for film is word of mouth. Has anyone you know mentioned that they've seen this film? Clearly, these all, the, like these films have got an audience out there. But I just don't know who they are. Nobody I know has seen this film. And I meet a lot of people on a daily basis that I've never met before. And nobody goes, oh, you know what I do? I, saw that new avatar it was amazing like no one's talking about it so they're either seeing it and not liking it or it's a completely different group of people the problem is now i'm thinking what should i go see it i don't want to maybe (laughs) you stumbled on something there maybe that's what it is maybe people are seeing oh this film's making a lot of money should i go and see it i wouldn't know about the box office numbers Unless it was for our group chat, but then I suppose lots of people are in group chats these days. Yeah, maybe maybe there's, I know sort of WhatsApp's a big, big among most people in group chats in there. So maybe maybe people are talking about this, but because they're not talking about it publicly online. So maybe the word of mouth is there. Maybe it's just more modern day word of mouth. People aren't actually talking about it in public. It's, it's in sort of group chats. To be fair, I thought the first one was cinematically good. I thought it was impressive. However, the story was rubbish. Some people went to the cinema like nine times to watch it. I mean, it, it's good, but it's no Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> no, no, no. Which was an excellent film. And a film I went to the cinema quite a lot to watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, like, I, I don't, it's been so long since the last Avatar. I'm just... Hey, I'm clearly wrong, but it's a franchise that I've just don't have any interest in let alone it being one of the biggest franchises of all time if not pretty much secured it nearly now hasn't it and that there's still more to come there is yeah like seven more or something crazy i think i think there was i think james cameron did an interview where he said yeah number one and two that's just sort of laying the groundwork that's just setting up the world like 
three, four, and five. That's when it. That's when like the, that's when it really starts getting good. But the world is so boring and linear. Says somebody who hasn't actually seen the second one. I <laughs> I love the world. Like I, I remember the visuals were really good. Do you? I I do. I thought it was quite interesting because it was. I would have loved, and it was really weird. I would have liked to have seen like a document, a fake documentary set in this world. Do you know what I mean? Like explaining yeah, how the ecosystem works. The humans are after unobtainium. Yeah, that was really unobtainium. Did they ever get any? <laughs> I can't remember. I've not seen this film for twelve years. No. Anyway, other bit I wanted to pull up before we started uh, on Reservoir Dogs is The Godfather last week. I think one thing that we didn't say is whether we think it was overrated, underrated, or bang on. And I think, I'll go first, I think it is overrated as being one of the top five films ever made i will agree i think it was overrated and i think i will say that having seen this week's film i think that has skewed my judgment for what i think a good film is Ooh, there's some clues as to what you think of this week's film right let's get into it then so there are going to be spoilers for reservoir dogs in this podcast each section we're going to explain what happens in the plot so if you've not seen it for a long time we'll give you a reminder or if you've not seen it at all and you can't be bothered to watch it, we'll give you the gist of what's going on. However, I think you'll get the most out of it if you do watch it beforehand, though feel no need to. So Quentin Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs starts with a group of men seated around a dinner table discussing the meaning of the meaning of Madonna's hit song, Like a Virgin, and the merits of tipping. These men are known to the audience only as Mr. Brown, Mr. Blue, Mr. Pink, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Orange, and Mr. White, along with their boss, Joe, and his son, Eddie. After the conversation dies down, they depart for their planned heist. Good opening sequence, I felt. Yeah. Really strong. It was good. It was it was much shorter than The Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> It was, about, it was about seven minutes, and it was just like a sort of general discussion, which leads into, like, a lot... I mean, of course, I got the Madonna um, Madonna reference, but there's a huge amount of references, pop culture references, that went completely over my head in this film. Yeah. Like, I'm I, guessing... I am, cur- I am curious if maybe that is sort of a, a sign of the times, because... I mean, I don't know if you know this, as of the time of recording, uh, this film is exactly 30 years old. To the day this film was released 30 years ago. Uh, completely by coincidence, we did not plan that. Um, is it really? Yeah. Today? Yeah, I saw a thing online that was like, uh, 30 years ago today, Reservoir Dogs was released in the UK. How mad is that? Complete coincidence. But I'm, I'm guessing like it was quite a funny film at the time. Because they're all like having a laugh and a joke about, but I've got no idea what they're talking about. Yeah, it's. I think you sort of you're coming in on a conversation, aren't you, with characters, and it's a great sort of character building because that it's they know each other clearly. These are characters who have been around each other for a little bit. They that, but they're still alternatively learning about each other, and it's just a normal conversation. I feel this is a conversation that almost any friend group would have uh, around a, a table. It definitely came across as more authentic than most movies. 
it didn't feel like actors on a set so much, which you could then say is like down to the actors, but I think it, I think it is down to the script, really. It's a perfect blend of of really good actors and a really well written script. Um, is really something that Quentin Tarantino should be merited on. Like this script was was good and all the conversations were believable and at some point I did sort of forget I was watching a film and I was I was really sort of taken in by the characters. I think the characters straight away kind of shine in their differences. I mean you've got a group of like people who get on clearly who are really different and there's sort of like a lot of foreshadowing in that scene as to what each of the characters are going to do in the future as well. Yes, the foreshadowing in this film is is heavy and I th- I think it really merits a rewatch but mm. when you think back on it there's a lot of foreshadowing which I think we will get to and bring up as we we sort of go along in this film so at the, at the right at the start we don't really know much about each of these men you kind of slowly introduce to like Mr. White who's really solid an older fella Mr. Pink who's like kind of jittery and a bit weird compared to the others Mr. Blonde, who's really kind of cool and casual. And then Mr. Brown and Mr. Blue, you don't really get to see see at all. Uh, I think, is it Mr. Brown or Mr... Which one is it? Mr. Brown or Mr. Blue is played by Quentin Tarantino That is Mis- Mr. Brown, yeah. I wasn't expecting that. I know he always... He's in all his films, isn't he? A bit self-indulgent. Yeah, <laughs> he... th- yeah. Um, well, it sort of... He, I think when he wrote the film, he wanted to play Mr. Pink. And was quite ah, sort okay. of sort of convinced on on playing Mr. Pink, but um, as the script was sort of circulating, uh, Steve Buscemi sort of approached him and said, "I I want to play Mr. Pink. This is a character I want to play." Oh, perfect casting as well. But he was like, "You are only going to get this if you do a really good audition." I mean, he's playing Mr. Pink, so I think he did a really really good audition. Wow, I, possibly the strongest actor. I mean, Tim Roth, who plays Mr. Orange gives him a run for his money but steve buscemi's brilliant in this yeah the whole cast is sort of and i like the staging of that opening scene sort of you you see one or two and then another character's introduced and another character's introduced and there was a point i was like how many people are around this table as it sort of slowly goes around and the conversation develops and then another person arrives and another person arrives because not everyone is contributing to the conversation. You're given a real clear sense of hierarchy at the time. Joe, who is like this kind of older mob boss type guy, is clearly in charge. They have a big like sort of discussion over the over paying the tip or not. Mr. Pink says, oh, I don't I don't want to conform to that system. Whereas Joe just walks up and says, Yeah, you you're paying the tip and he, he does straight away. Yeah, he's, I think I think he says, um, "Is it? Look, I paid for the meal. You, the least you can do is pay for the tip." And he goes, "Oh, go on then, just this one time, only because it's you." It's there's, <laughs> you, there's clearly a little bit of fear there. So Madonna actually saw this film uh, when it came out and really enjoyed it. Um, however, did have some comments on the "Like a Virgin" sort of scene and actually sent Quentin Tarantino her latest album with the note to Quentin. It's not about dick, it's about love. Madonna, kiss. Of course, next we get the famous walking into the car park scene with the music. Even before seeing this film, I knew about that. I'd seen it before. I've seen 
recreations of it. I've seen it referenced in pop culture. It's nice to actually see the movie <laughs> and understand where it came from. Iconic. Brilliant. Sucks you right in, and then you're slapped in the face. I mean, I think we're like under 10 minutes in, and then suddenly you're like really gripped by this film, because after the opening credits, we open on the interior of the car being driven by Mr. White, who's shouting he's going a bit crazy, saying, you'll be all right, you'll be all right, you'll be all right. Clearly, something's gone really wrong. Mr. Orange is in the back. He's got a gunshot wound. He's thrashing, he's screaming, he's panicking, he's bleeding everywhere. And there is a, a lot of blood in this film. He's clearly in critical condition, and he believes he will die without legitimate medical attention. But since they've come from a bungled diamond heist, all Mr. White can do is try and convince Orange that he'll be fine. There is a lot of blood in this scene, and it really pops on that white car interior. It's... Yeah. And he's sort of... I really like the the sort of the, the juxtaposition between... You get the illusion that these men are all hardy, seasoned criminals who have sort of seen everything from that sort of opening sort of scene, and then smash cut straight to Mr. Orange just crumbling. Like he's crying, he's he's upset, he's he really doesn't want to die. They all seem like seasoned, hardened criminals, apart from Quentin Tarantino, who has his silly little soul patch. <laughs> but the rest do, yeah. <laughs> the flavour saver, if you will. <laughs> it's disgusting. <laughs> awful. It's oh. But I think that was probably bang on trend in nineteen ninety two. Oh probably. It was yeah, that probably. Something that hasn't aged quite as well, but yeah, goodness me. Um, I really, really liked... I wasn't expecting that smash cut straight to... I thought we were maybe going to see the heist. I really don't know what I thought this film was going to be, but this is not it. So no. They just straight away cut... They probably jump about an hour, an hour or two after yeah. after that diner scene, and it's all gone wrong, clearly. Like, Mr. Orange has been shot. He's covered in blood mr mr white's doing his best as he possibly can to keep him calm but it's not going well is it i wasn't expecting it i thought it was going to be like a sort of heist movie but i i liked it i liked it i changed it up for me being like the post heist but i found out afterwards that the budget for this film really wasn't big at all um nobody knows how much it costs specifically but apparently it's between 1.2 and 3 million dollars yeah, it Which... was it was really a low. This is very low budget, um, and it, it's quite sort of apparent to that. Like very minimal locations. Um, mm. ne- you, apart from that opening scene, there's very little cast in each scene. I think it just makes it a lot easier to shoot that um, with the low budget. Um, initially, it was going to be shot for, for I think it was thirty thousand dollars. And Quentin Jeez. Tarantino wanted to shoot it guerrilla style, which is where you. You don't really have any permissions. You just sort of go out with a camera and hope that no one stops you. So he was going to do yeah. that with his friends. Um, and it wasn't until somehow Harvey Keitel, who plays Mr. White, got hold of the script and said, look, I will, as long as I can star in this film and produce it, um, I will come aboard and help you get more budget. And he's the, he's the main reason they got that plus $1 million budget. For me, it almost watches like a stage show. I don't know if that was there as any intent there, but that having, for the most part, they have quite a sort of static set where characters come in and out, sort of enter stage right, exit stage left, 
uh, as different things happen. I have got almost word for word exactly the same written down here in one of my notes. I wrote this could be a play. It's staged very much like a play. I, I haven't seen any interviews or sort of analysis on this. But I think, yeah, I think it's maybe a product of its sort of low budgetness. Film is very expensive. Um, and this is pre sort of good looking digital cameras. So they will be shooting on film and it's you're paying per second that you're filming, basically. So this, I feel, is a lot of sort of single takes, long takes and just hoping that they get it, basically. So after the car scene, they then make it to their safe house um, and a frantic Mr. Pink arrives soon after. He's panicking about the heist and the possibility that they have a rat in their midst. Um, both are angry with Mr. Blonde, who went crazy when the alarm at the diamond store sort of was pulled and he just began shooting at the place. Um, it attracted a large group of cops to the crime scene. Pink claims he's hidden the diamonds in a safe location and White begs him to get the doctor for Orange before he bleeds out. Mr. White, straight away, seems to have quite a strong connection with Orange. He keeps on reminding uh, Pink that it's his fault that Orange got shot and he's very, very loyal to the team, whereas Pink just wants to take the diamonds and go. Yeah, I think I think the writing is really good in this little scene. Um, you, there's a, a lot of confusion. It's written quite accurately. Um, sort of each character has a slightly different recollection of sort of what went on. Each character was sort of looking at different people, so they don't they don't have the full story. Um, and the moment that the sort of Mister Mister Pink decides to throw in the fact that he suspects there's a rat in the group, it almost derails the rest of the group. I mean, Tim Roth has got a pretty easy deal in this film, hasn't he? He just sort of lies there. Yeah. <laughs> um, is, is he dead? We don't know. They keep sort of checking in with him, saying, still alive. And I go, is he? Because they should really take him <laughs> to the hospital. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot of blood on that floor that just keeps increasing. It must have been awful to film for Tim Roth, just being sat in a puddle for absolutely ages this scene also has one of the best bits in the entire movie which is mr pink saying oh yeah i shot up the cops and and got out of there uh and he's actually screaming and running <laughs> that was beautiful honestly i all i laughed a lot at that he was like this is my narrative and we just cut straight to the first flashback really it was funny but I thought it almost, because I was very sort of invested in, in what they were saying at this point, because it's sort of explaining the plot by exposition. It's characters saying what's happened rather than showing. And that is a product of this film's low budget. They obviously couldn't film everything they needed to. Um, so you just sort of get the actors explaining it. Um, but I, towards the end, I really appreciated these flashbacks. I think they really helped sort of show that these characters and what they're saying, they're unreliable narrators. They're not, what they're saying is not true. Um, they're bending the truth. Each character sort of has their own ulterior motive for what's going on. Um, but we as an audience are actually seeing the truth and how they how they really react. You you think you know everything about these characters and then it, it cuts to a flashback where it, it almost shows the audience that everything they've been told so far is a lie and... 
I think, yeah, I think it keeps it it keeps it fresh because all of a sudden you have this new perspective on what is happening with these characters and you know that this character is now lying and you know that this character isn't telling the truth so you can sort of watch that develop. Flashbacks are used throughout the film and they give it a real non-linear feel but sometimes in film it's really awkward and some of my least favourite films include loads of flashbacks and you don't know what time period it is and so forth but with all of these in Reservoir Dogs it's really clear what part of time you are what's going on and why the flashbacks are used we then see a flashback to Mr White who is an old friend of the heist mastermind Joe we get a little bit of background of Mr White showing that he, he is a seasoned criminal uh, and he knows what he's doing. We then go back to the safe house. So this this scene sort of comes to a climax with with Mister Mister Pink and Mister Mister White almost almost at each other's throats. Do you know what I mean? They're really they are about to to kill each other. I think um, the paranoia has got so much, and we have that amazing pullback as it just sort of very slowly pulls back to reveal. Mr. Blonde has been watching for an undetermined amount of time as they crumble. Straight away with Mr. Blonde, you know something's not quite right with him. He's like really cool, calm, collected. You've heard all the things about him going crazy. And he was the one who started all the shooting and really ruined their burglary attempt. You, you are presented everything we know about him so far. Is he's he's a man on the edge. He clearly is erratic in his behaviour. But then when we meet him in the warehouse, he's just very calm, very collective, leaning, sipping on his on his drink. Mister Pink and Mister White are really not happy to see Mister Blonde, who then tells them he has a surprise in the trunk of his car. The surprise turns out to be a police officer who Mister Blonde has kidnapped. They then proceed to tie him up in the safe house. Almost instantly. The cool, calm, collective facade is shattered as you realise. No, this man is, this man is unhinged. He's kidnapped a police officer, which becomes very clear later on that this man, sociopathic, psychopathic, you name them all, they're there with Mister, Mister Blonde. I mean, at this point in the in the movie, I'm still questioning. Okay, do they have a rat, or was it Mister Blonde just going mental? Mr. Mr. Pink's sort of logic is the shooting happens, the alarm is pulled, and almost instantly the police officers are there. He can't figure out the timeline in his head, which has made the paranoia star. He's like, no, no, we, we've, we've figured this out. Once the alarm's pulled, that gives us three minutes before the police arrive. But they arrived instantly, like they were waiting, and it's just rambling, 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 and and panic, really, from him that is, has made him get to this this logic. Another fun fact about this movie, apparently the F word is used 272 times. I mean, that is a lot. However, there was there was use of, of another word in this, which did surprise me. And that is sort of the, the N word. Um, oh, yeah. And that, <laughs> that came up. That was uncomfortable. Oh, that. And it really made me dislike Mr. Pink's character because we get the we get the little he doesn't tip. He doesn't believe in it. And you're like, OK, well, this is. He's not an awful character, but he's you probably struggle to be friends with him. And then yeah. that just comes out. Just quite blase in using that word. Maybe it's of the maybe it's of not, not justifying it, but maybe it's of the time. 
and I, th- I think it, I think it's more character building for Mister Pink. Yeah, and I, to be fair, you don't get it included. So unless it's something like Django Unchained, which is another Quentin Tarantino where it's always highlighted, I think sometimes we a lot of things now you kind of ignore previous racism and how culture used to be. I think we should remember uh, what people used to be like and the way people used to be wrong uh, so we don't do it again. Yeah, I think I think learning learning from the past is what we should do. We should we shouldn't shouldn't gloss over it. We should address it and we should we should learn from it and say that that shouldn't happen again. Because also, no one's seen Mr. Pink and going, oh, yeah, I want to be like him, aren't they? Yeah, if, if, <laughs> if you see Mr. Pink and go, that is a person I want to be, that is who I'm basing my personality off, you should look in the mirror and you should... <laughs> this is not a nice character, and I don't think I would like a single one of his character traits. He's a coward, he's, he's a liar, he refuses to say... He, on multiple times, just refuses to take Mr. Orange to the hospital. Like... Yeah. Why not? I understand. But then you've got to be so much selfish to be a... Oh, God, yes. So selfish. I think he seems more more obsessed with the diamonds and who the rat is than his friends, really. Like, he's absolutely happy to let Mr. Orange lie there bleeding out on the ground. In some ways, he is more intelligent than Mr. White because he sticks to the, he sticks to the plan. Don't need to know anybody's names. I don't want to get involved. Don't want to get caught. Yeah, and he is. It does um, come out. He's clearly the most most right. He knows. He does suspect that there's a rat. And is he correct? Maybe we'll find out. We now get a flashback for Mr. Blonde. So we're kind of building up our knowledge of each of these characters. We see him meet with Joe and Joe's son, nice guy Eddie, who have known him a long time and see him as a son and brother respectively. He did years in prison upon getting out. Joe and Eddie have found him a job. Back at the safe house, Mr. Blonde begins to torture. Uh, Mr. Blonde begins torturing the police officer, cutting off his ear in a gruesome scene. Uh, to the soundtrack of Stuck in the Middle with You, which is brilliant and awful all at the same time. I don't think I can ever listen to Stuck in the Middle with You the same again. <laughs> His little dance. It's creepy. It's... <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I was... As he's getting excited to cut somebody's ear off. <sighs> oh. I'd like... I'd... I didn't expect it. I thought it was just going to like cut into his cheek or something. And then you see the ear hole. Oh, it, it's bad. It's, oh, God. Quentin Tarantino could have done it the ear facing away from the camera. No, it's the ear facing the camera. So it's just looking at you throughout the next couple of scenes. I think it adds to the scene, though. I think it's really, you sort of... I think it's great. It's awful. <laughs> But perfectly on I'm, I'm not squeamish as well. I can eat my lunch and watch House. Oh, no problem. That got but me. I this felt awful. that. I was, you're instantly transported into that poor police officer's sort of situation. And I think he was quite actually relatively quite calm because he was on his ear hacked off. If that was me, the noise would be 
unbearable. It would be blood curdling. <laughs> and the contrast of him being laughing and having fun to taking absolute glee in torturing somebody. It, it's strange seeing somebody so nice and friendly in one scene just being such a cold psychopath in the next. The other bit to this scene is the music. I mean, the music choice is excellent. And throughout the movie, we have a recurring sound of the 70s DJ come on. And all of the music in this film comes out of speakers within the scenes. It's just a nice little touch. It's nice. It added added texture, I think. Yeah, all the music in this scene is diegetic, which means um, you've got diegetic sound and non-diegetic. So diegetic means that there is an established source within within the, the world, within the, the film, where this music is coming out. So usually a radio, which they establish here, whereas you've also got non-diegetic, which would be like the opening credits. And it's, it's put in afterwards, over the top. It wasn't there on the day of filming, and the actors aren't reacting to it. So Mr. Blonde goes out to his car, gets some gasoline and pours yeah. it all over the cop, basically saying, I don't, I don't, I don't really care what you've got to say. I just want to torture you for fun. And he gets ready to set him on fire whilst he hears him scream. Suddenly we hear gunshots as Mr. Orange shoots Mr. Blonde several times, revealing that Mr. Orange is the rat. Very dramatic twist. Did not see that coming. Neither I, did I. And, I, and looking back, I thought, oh, it's pretty obvious, actually. Very obvious. Uh, the foreshadowing is there. I just didn't pick up on it. No, neither did I. I really liked that they kept popping back to Mr. Orange. They kept going, he's dead. He's like, no, he's not dead. He's just dying. Yeah. He's, he's still alive. He's still there. He's still in the scene. He's present for everything. Well, it's just, it's just like a game of Among Us. Mr. Orange had Mr. White fully marinated. Absolutely Fully marinated. And Mr. White is almost telling the audience it's not Mr. Orange. It can't be. I've seen what he's done. I know him. We kind of revisit some of the scenes as well in the next section. Especially, and we see how Mr. Orange got shot. And he got shot from trying to escape with Mr. White where they try and steal a woman's car and the woman has a gun in her glove box and shoots Mr. Orange in the stomach. Mr. Orange reflexively shoots her, killing her. And part, you now get a new feel on that very first scene with him screaming and panicking and Mr. White saying, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Because not only is he screaming and panicking from a gunshot wound, he's also just killed a civilian. Yeah, you, you see the, the conflict on his face the moment he pulls that trigger. You see, all of a sudden, I shouldn't have done that. But it was like a reactionary sort of, I've been shot, I'm going to shoot the person. Oh, actually, it was just a woman defending herself because we were robbing her. He, he seems to have gotten a little bit conflicted and not thinking very clearly. Um, but I loved the going back to the car and we all of a sudden understand exactly what he's saying now. There's no confusion. Everything he's saying is 100% clear. She shot me. She shot me. And he's trying to... You, you understand why he's panicking. Yeah, he's trying to justify himself. Yeah, it's, but it's also... It's not gone to plan. This wasn't meant to happen. It was meant to be 
cut and cover, we'll go in, the cops turn up, we all go back to the safe house, the cops come in and arrest everyone. But all of a sudden he's been shot and it's gone completely not to plan. So we have a little conversation with Mr. Orange. He turns out to be called called Freddy uh, and talking to the cop who's still tied up, saying, hey, I'm I'm a cop, there's police around the corner. And the cops kind of go, well, why, why aren't the police here? It turns out the whole big undercover scheme is all to get Joe, the big head guy. So not, the police are not going to come in and save them until Joe arrives, who we believe is going to turn up at some point. A lot of the other characters have been sort of complaining, like Mr. White and Mr. Pink, saying, hey, where the hell's Joe? He was supposed to meet us here. So we as an audience are also now now waiting. It, it shows the the levels to the plan and and had had mr orange not been shot it would have he probably would have been fine um however this this order that the police are not to move in until till joe is seen is really the nail in the coffin for for mr orange i mean it feels like the police pissed it up doesn't it they should have just let them get away with the the robbery and then had the intel from from Freddy to go get them. The police actually turning up kind of messed everything up for Mr. Orange. Well, I think I think Mr. Blonde shooting up the place is sort of where it all went a little bit tits oh, up. Oh, because they set off the alarm, which they weren't supposed to do. And, of course, the police were nearby anyway. Yes. The police uh, were yeah. nearby. They were... I, it explains why they all managed to escape, though, as well. Yeah. Um, at no point really were they were they going to be arrested. They wanted to scare them. They wanted them to go back to the safe house with the diamonds, yeah. get them cocky, make them assume that they had gotten away with it. Joe turns up to collect collect his prize, and that's when they swoop in and and sort of arrest him. Plan succeeded. However, Mister Mister Blonde, being the maniac that he is, just decides to start shooting up the place the moment the alarm's pulled, and it it goes wrong. So we've had a flashback for Mr. White, we've had a flashback for Mr. Blonde, so now we get the flashback for Mr. Orange. So this is like the earliest clips in the film, so it's really telling you like the, the initiation of all of this happening and the people coming together for the first time. We see him meeting his superior in a diner, tells him he has to go undercover inside Joe's next operation. Him practicing being undercover, memorizing scripts, practicing it over and over again, and we get like this four tier scene where we got him practicing for the first time, practicing for the second time, doing it in person, and then the actual story as well, visualized on screen. It's something that I can imagine is very confusing written in the script, but the fact they managed to film this is amazing. I really, really liked it. Sort of, um, I mean, to bring it bring it back to episode one, Mister Mister Orange doing his his Marlon Brando, doing his his Godfather, like, mm. and the levels as he's telling the story when you realise that he, it's him telling a story about telling a story but he's describing all of those little details like like when the he turns the tap on the tap slightly leaking like i love to imagine that while he's telling this story he's explaining that the tap leaks slightly and it was just it was really nicely shot and really nicely staged 
and I, I, it was, I think maybe my favourite part of the film was this whole sort of flashback sequence explaining how Mr. Orange or slash Freddy sort of got, got into it. Yeah, and it, he's not an actor, and there was a lot of sort of meta commentary going like, it's four pages, and that's Tim Roth, the actor, pretending that he doesn't read scripts for a living, like he doesn't read 90 pages and memorises them for his character. It's just... it. I thought it was quite, it was a little bit meta, but I think it really worked within sort of the universe of the film and gave some amazing context to these characters. I also really enjoyed the scene where he's just about to leave the house. He's ready to go. He's going to tell his story. He looks in the mirror and just reminds himself, you're not going to be caught. You're not going to be caught. You're not going to be caught. I'm a super cool guy. And then leaves. <laughs> yeah, because what, what we learn, his, his character's a, is a bit of a nerd. Like he's, his flat is covered in sort of Marvel posters, which sign of the times in the nineties, Marvel was not doing well. So this, these were not popular. It's not sort of the Marvel that we know today. This is sort of an unpopular, quite a niche liking that this character has towards this, this comic. And, and he goes, goes out and he completely plays a different version of himself. So we then cut back to the present where Eddie, Mr. White and Mr. Pink all return to the safe house to find Mr. Blonde dead. Orange then tells them that Mr. Blonde was planning to to torch the cop, set him on fire, shoot the others and escape with the diamonds, betraying them all. But Eddie doesn't believe it for a second that Mr. Blonde would betray him and his dad. And after Joe finally arrives at the scene, he claims that Orange is the rat. White refuses to believe it. They all pull out their guns and a standoff ensues. They all fire, leaving Eddie and Joe dead, White mortally wounded, and Orange then reveals to White that he's a cop. A devastated White shoots him before himself being killed by the cops. The sole survivor, Mr. Pink, escapes with the loot. Of course, the little cockroach. The little rat <laughs> hiding under the stairs. You feel really bad for Mr. White, don't you? You really do. He, oh. But also... Like, he, he, Mr. White is a criminal with a code, isn't he? He is, yeah. It just dissolves, doesn't it? It, The the paranoia, the, the backstabbing. No one can keep track of it anymore. No one knows what's going on. You've got White, who is he's staking his reputation on Orange, not being the cop. Um, there's the confliction because all the evidence is there, isn't it? Remember, it, Orange stretches the truth when he says that they wanted to shoot everyone because he goes, oh, he cut the ear off, he's a nutter, he's, he's unhinged and sort of pink goes over and goes, he's right, you know, the ear's been the ear's been cut off. It's why the hell would he do that? Because it, it sort of it questions everything these characters thought they knew about each other. I think everything's thrown up into the air in that last scene and... I like the way the audience knows exactly what is going on, but the audience is the only one who knows exactly what's going on. Yeah, the audience, audience and Orange, that. really. Yeah, the audience. Well, even Orange doesn't know what's going on because Orange, I don't think, knew that Mr. Blonde knew the uh, nice guy Eddie, yeah. and sort of that. That's a little bit of a of a sort of a spanner thrown into the works when Nice Guy Eddie goes, "Well, why would Blonde Blonde wouldn't betray us because Blonde's just spent." five years in prison and he could have got out any time by literally naming my father as sort of 
by ratting on my dad that would have got him out but it, it sort of shows that for some reason he was quite loyal to 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 joe and and nice guy eddie and orange does his best to sort of try and save that situation but it's a real sort of a oh my god moment for orange as he realizes sort of he's gonna have to dig down deep now and try and convince people even more and at the end like you felt the threat to orange was so real he wasn't gonna back down anything the the character joe does not back down yeah i I think i think orange is he knows he's dying uh, and I think he knows there is there is there it's it's getting fainter by the second, but he knows there is a faint glimmer of hope now that Joe has arrived, that the cops are about to arrive, and he might just survive this, but he has to really convince everyone else that his story is true. He's really scraping at the bottom of the barrel now for excuses. It makes sense up until nice guy Eddie decides to drop that bombshell that they know each other and go back ages um but it does sort of lead me on to i think one of my final points why did orange tell mr white i was almost screaming at my tv <laughs> i was like don't tell him nope that you can hear the sirens no i think he he felt guilty i think he was semi so far into the character that he was playing as well mr Wright just ruined everything for him but all he had to do was sit there quietly the cops would arrive. He'd get the medical attention he needed, and he he could have reduced White's sentence. You know what I mean? As you said, White is a he's a criminal with a code. He's a he's got morals, and he probably is the reason he could have left Orange at the side of the road bleeding out. He could have left him dying, but he was sort of there for him. So yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe that's why Orange felt, oh, he'll understand. He'll understand this. And just you see the heartbreak on White's face. So then we end up with everybody dead, bar Mr. Pig. I think this is kind of like a classic Tarantino ending, isn't it? It's not a happy ending. Doesn't feel like everything's totally resolved. It's almost like a cliffhanger, even though it's not a cliffhanger because nothing more could happen, could it? It's not a satisfying ending, but I don't think that's a negative. No, it's it's not satisfying, but it's it's full circle. Do you know what I mean? All the, yeah. the characters are dead. Um, we don't know what happens to, to Pink when he when he leaves the building. Most likely, he's going to be shot by the cops that are arriving. Like, he's a man who's not sort of thinking ahead, is he really there? The greed is getting to him. He's taking the diamonds and he's running out. But we know the police are arriving and they're quite close. We can hear the sirens. Right then. Should we get on to a rating out of 10? <sighs> I went first last week. I think it's your turn to go first. Did I, in my head, enjoy this more than The Godfather? What did I... I gave The Godfather an 8, didn't I? Have I put myself into a corner with that? This is for different reasons I feel on par with The Godfather. 8. I think this is also an 8. I don't think... Yeah. I think, for me, I'm surprised it's Tarantino's highest rated film on like IMDb and stuff like that. Compared to Inglourious Bastards and Jago Unchained, I don't think it's quite as good. Uh, so I think I did enjoy it more than The Godfather. I'm more likely to rewatch this. So I think I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. I think I think we're both on the same page there. And I think for the, for the limits that they faced as well, like the budgetary restraints, 
this is very good and i think that does come down to the script this is completely written by tarantino um it's very good so i guess that brings us on to to what film are we going to be watching next week we are going to be watching 2001 a space odyssey okay joel no pressure no pressure do you want to do the outro (laughs) i do want to do the outro thank you for listening the end (laughs) oh come on (laughs) goodness me right thank you very much for watching this episode of the 1001 movies we have not seen podcast you can follow us on instagram at 1001 movies not seen pod or you can send us an email at 1001 movies not seen at gmail.com Thank you very much for watching. If you can give us a like and a follow on whatever podcasting platform it is you are listening on, we're pretty much on them all now, amazingly. We will see you next week. Bye.